0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast, and if you are a hockey fan in general, that means you were probably glued to your TV last Friday as the NHL did its draft lottery, and when I say hello everybody, I mean hello everybody except Undetermined Team E. Uh, They are the winners of the first overall pick, which means nothing because we have no idea what team that's going to be, and that has some implications for our New Jersey Devils. Um, Here to break that down with me is John Fisher.
1: Right. So way back when the return to play format was announced, the NHL and Gary Bettman also revealed how they were going to handle the draft lottery. So they explained everything. And true to form, most online forms of hockey media completely forgot about it and act, acted like everything was chaotic. When if you take three seconds, it really isn't. I'm a little I'm a little cynical about the state of hockey media online these days, uh, Dan, if you did not tell. Right. Anyway, but here's how this how, how it worked on Friday. So. They ran the lottery like they would any other year over the last, just as they did in the past four years. Three lotteries, three numbers were drawn. If your team got the combination, your card becomes that number. Very good. Mm-hmm. Now, because we don't know who the eight teams that are not going to win their qualifying round, they the NHL used placeholders, or as you mentioned, Team E, um, which ordinarily would have been twelfth, I believe, twelfth overall otherwise. Mm-hmm which had like a 2.5 chance of winning it all. So that's what you get when you have non-zero uh, odds. Sometimes the unexpected happens. Regardless, so Bob Daly, I'm sorry, Bill Daly came out, and he said he had eight cards, which meant one of these unspecified teams won one of the three lotteries, and it turned out they won the first one. Uh, the second one was won by Los Angeles, so they picked second. And number three was won by San Jose, which, of course— Oh yeah. They don't own, mm-hmm. thanks to the Eric Carlson trade, mm-hmm. so Ottawa got that pick. <laughs> So Detroit had the worst worst uh, season out of everybody. They ended up picking fourth. Ottawa has their legitimate pick at five. Anaheim had their pick at six, and the Devils fell one spot to seven.
0: Yeah, and it, it was not a nightmare scenario entirely for the Devils. They could have fallen further and – you know, the, the seventh spot I think was their best possible odds um, out of yes. any spot they could have gotten. So we played right to chalk, and seventh overall is not a bad place to be this year. But there are some implications for the um, for the undetermined team getting that first overall slot. For example, the nightmare scenario of the Rangers losing and then winning that pick. Um there's also the scenario where the only scenario with which Arizona can keep its first round pick this year and because they have Taylor Hall that 12.5% looks a lot more like 50%. <laughs>
1: well, yes. So for the uninitiated, so now that an undetermined team won a lottery pick, that the NHL is going to hold a second lottery to determine which one of the eight teams that don't win their qualifying series gets that pick. And as Dan indicated, it's a 12.5% chance. All eight teams have a one in eight chance of getting it. So this is supposed to dissuade teams from basically throwing the series in the hopes of getting Alexis Lafreniere, Uh who is most likely almost 99.9% going to be the top pick in this draft. And most, and is, he is the most NHL ready player out of this draft class. He has no reason to go back to the Quebec major junior hockey league, unless that is the only league that will take him. And if he goes to Europe, um Europe may say well we want you to stay for the whole season so he may say no he obviously can't go to college you know his options are fairly limited the NHL is pretty much the place where he should be playing next season based on his skill set and his and his accomplishments he is I believe the only player in canadian hockey league history to win canadian hockey player of the year which is best major junior hockey player in canada mm. twice mm. and the only other player to have done that is Sidney crosby
0: yeah this is one of the best players coming out of the uh the queue since crosby himself so whoever that team is that loses the plan round it's kind of like okay we don't get to compete for the cup but this is the best possible consolation prize we could have gotten
1: Right. Now, of course, the seven teams that don't win this pick, they will be selecting in an order of points percentage. Mm. So the best case scenario for New Jersey is Arizona loses and somehow Montreal beats Pittsburgh oh. and Chicago beats Edmonton because Ed, Ed, uh, Montreal and Chicago have worse records than Arizona. Mm. So, what that means is that Arizona's pick would bump up from 11th overall to 9th overall, assuming they don't win first overall in the second lottery. But since they have Taylor Hall and everybody loves themselves a coincidence and a conspiracy and a narrative, <laughs> you're going to hear no end of Taylor Hall's going to win us the lottery, you know, takes on the internet for, you know, months to come.
0: And again, it's in so, his best interest not to even be involved since his team would no longer be competing for the Stanley Cup.
1: Exactly. And that's that's sort of the other take that I don't I think a lot of people online are missing is that not only are athletes, professional athletes by their nature, very competitive. A number of these players are playing for contracts. Mm -hmm. A number of these players, whether or not they're restricted free agents, whether or not they're coming off their entry level contracts, whether or not they're a veteran that's looking for a big payday or in the case of Taylor Hall, looking for a massive payday. The last thing you want to do is have your most recent set of performances be basically the definition of meh. Because you don't care and you're just banking on winning that lottery, that doesn't that doesn't really entice teams to go out there and say, "I want to give you all the money in the world," or in some players' cases, give you a job at all. So because of that nature, I think you're definitely going to see a lot of players put in a full effort. And um, because winning, having a chance to win the Stanley Cup's a lot more a lot more important and a lot more meaningful than getting the best 18 year old player in the uh, NHL draft class.
0: Yeah, that's scenario you described, would it? lead to another possible nightmare in Pittsburgh getting that first overall pick as well. Uh, but there's a True. lot of, you know, scary scenarios for teams that are in the play-in round that are way stronger than teams that would usually be competing for the number one pick in a normal year. Obviously nothing about this year is normal and we'll wait and see what happens. But as a consequence of all of this and this strange wrinkle in the lottery um, just given this year the devils are going to be selecting seventh overall with potentially more picks in tow if vancouver wins their matchup And if things go the Devils' way with Arizona's matchup. So we'll address those as those become more clear, just because the only pick that we know the Devils have for sure is that 7th overall. And at 7th overall, there are a few options that are possible. It just depends on how the rest of the board goes, as is the nature of not picking within, I don't know, the first three picks. And there's a lot yes. of different things the Devils could address with that 7th overall pick. So we we floated some names just looking around different mock drafts on various websites, looking around rankings. And we came up with a pool of players that we think could reasonably be available at number 7 and would make sense for the Devils in some way or have been rumored to be in that range. So the, the names that I have, and correct me if you have anything different than this, John, I have Jamie Drysdale, Jake Sanderson, Alexander Holtz, Lucas Raymond, Cole Perfetti, Marco Rossi, Jack Quinn, and Yaroslav Oskarov.
1: That's pretty much the size of it. Um, those are the... Names that are most likely going to be there, at, just by sheer math, most of those names are going to be there as, as potential options. But those are the, going to be the reasonable targets that the Devils should be targeting at seventh overall for this year's draft based on what we know of the draft class right now.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's go through these uh, one by one kind of by position to see if you know they would be – if they are available and if they are – if there's someone who's still on the board at this time, if it makes sense for the Devils to take them and how they would fit into the grand scheme of the organization. Does that sound fair?
1: That sounds fair. Okay. Let's, let's run through it, Dan.
0: Let's go from the goalie out and start with our only goalie prospect on this list. This is Yaroslav Askarov, and the reason we start with him is because of all these players mentioned, he would probably be the least likely to be picked at number seven specifically. Yes, He's someone the Devils could look at if they do get Arizona or Vancouver's pick potentially in the first round, but seven seems like a stretch, although there have been you know, whispers that the Devils could be interested in Askarov, and that completes the tri-state area Russian goalie triumvirate
1: right so first and foremost it's been almost a gospel it's been that biblical i would say mm-hmm. to say never draft a goaltender high mm-hmm. however as montreal fans and tampa bay fans and washington fans will tell you if you hit big on your goaltender in the first round you're going to hit incredibly I mean, big devils
0: can tell you that it, too right
1: well yeah that too <laughs> but that was back in an era when most a lot of goalies went in the first right. round Nowadays, it's a lot lot less common, where you're lucky if you get one in the first round, if at all. Oh, Pittsburgh now, well, yeah, Pittsburgh is another example. But again, that was also in a slightly different era. Mm-hmm. In any case, the point is that Askarov is unlike a lot of these other goaltenders that we've made allusions to, just based on his resume alone. 17-year-old goaltenders do not play pro hockey in Russia. He plays pro hockey in Russia seventeen-year-old goaltenders do not get a game to start in the KHL, but Askarov got a game to start in the KHL. Mm-hmm. Askarov is a big goaltender. He's six foot three. He moves incredibly well. Yes, there are some mechanical things that need to be worked out, but you can you can bank on that because he's just seventeen years old. I think he's now eighteen, but the point is is that for most of this past season, he was seventeen. Mm-hmm. The only flaw in his performances has was he did not play well at the world junior championship to which I say he was a 17 year old in an under 20 competition. I'm not completely bothered by a 17 year old, not having a great WJC in a tournament where most players are going to be 18, 19, or even 20 years old, especially on a Russian national team where they absolutely play favorites. Mm -hmm. So for for, for the fact that they went with this guy and split time with him, tells you even the Russian coaches, which are normally very set in their ways, are saying, yeah, we can't deny this guy's ability.
0: The, th- so, the thing holding him back is the fact that this is seventh overall. Correct. And the other, well, that's
1: the big thing. Mm-hmm. At seventh overall, you got to make this pick work. Mm-hmm. And if the Devils had an incredibly strong prospect group, if they had, like, L.A.'s prospect group. Now, mind you, L.A.'s not going to use their second overall pick on Askarov unless they got inside information that six other prospects have broken legs or something. Or they by trade the, the pick. They got- <laughs> or they trade the pick. That's probably more right. likely. The, but the point is, is that even if, even if you have one of the strongest prospect pools in the league, taking a goalie at, at in the top ten in this year's draft is a really, really big stretch. Again, if Askarov turns out to be the Russian carry pick, price or the right Ru- okay maybe not the Russian Andrey Vasilevsky the <laughs> next Andrey Vasilevsky there you go the next Andrey Vasilevsky then you can justify a seventh overall selection for Askarov. but that's way too much of a risk in my opinion I think like Spencer Knight last year, I think he ends up going in the top 15, but definitely not in the top 10.
0: Yeah, so just to reiterate again, you know, if the scenario goes the devil's way with Arizona losing their play round and also not winning that lottery pick for the first overall, this is the range where the devils could reasonably reach for Askarov. This is yes. basically the point. And, and even as late as if, um, you know, Vancouver wins their playoff game but doesn't go much further, he may still be available even then.
1: Exactly. I mean, it's much more justifiable to take him at that 9 to 11 range or in that uh, 16 to 18 range uh, for Vancouver, provided that you lose the first round of the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's still going to... You know, It's still risky, but it's definitely much more manageable. And you can still come out of this draft class with a top-end forward or a top-end defenseman to balance the risk you would be taking in taking a goaltender in the first round.
0: Okay, so let's talk about those, some of those top-end defensemen that are getting buzzed. Yes. Right up to the draft. And the two I have listed are Jamie Drysdale and Jake Sanderson.
1: Right. So for most of this draft year, I'll say – Jamie Drysdale was like head and shoulders above every other defenseman in the draft class. Like, you know, all the scouting services, whether it's uh, public like Dobber Prospects or Steve Curianos or uh, Will Scouch, whether it's a magazine like McKean's or Elite Prospects or ISS, you know, they wouldn't even mention the other defenseman in the same league as Drysdale for, I would say, up until, I would say, April. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, and, I, and this tends to happen a lot with prospects, whether it's NHL prospects, football prospects, hockey, uh, basketball prospects. Whatever is that when you start looking at a player more and more, the more you start noticing their flaws and then you start thinking about someone else and you start getting more impressed by them. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the case of what's happening to Drysdale here where, you know, Drysdale definitely has the dynamic ability. If you're looking for a puck mover, he's easily the best one in the class. Um, He definitely was a star in the OHL. He's arguably the second, maybe the third best uh, OHL prospect in this draft class, um, I, my personal opinion is to put Rossi ahead of him, but that's a personal take. Um, but he's not particularly big. There's still a question of whether or not he could handle the defensive uh, the defensive game at the next level, considering he was like a star at the OHL. It is junior hockey after all. And, um, you know, the question is also the physical, as- you know, as I mentioned, he's not particularly big. And can he play in a physical situation? And the OHL is definitely can be physical at times. So he, I, I'm not... Supremely not confident that he could do it. But then you look over to a six foot two, 190 to 200 pound Jake Sanderson, you know, the star player on the uh, United States men's national development team, and you start noticing this guy was solid as solid could be in his own end. He's very good at moving the puck through the up, you know, in terms of breakouts through the neutral zone. Um, The U.S. team wasn't as good this year, so that some are wondering that's why his production wasn't so good, why his offense didn't pop off the page, so to speak. But more and more from people like Curianos and Dauber Prospects, and even to the point from Bob McKenzie's recent list at TSN. And McKenzie gets his information from executives like scouts, NHL executives. So he's getting – he's reading the tea leaves of what the NHL people are thinking, and they put Sanderson right at eight. Whereas if we were talking about this back in March, and I think that was the last time we talked about right. this back in March, uh, Sanderson was pretty much a, you know, one of those surefire like one of the best prospects outside of the top 10, but he'll be like a 12th or a 13th or a 14th overall. I think the more people look at the at at both Drysdale and Sanderson, and then it started to become more and more of a factor of, you know, if you want a bigger defenseman and you and you believe in the offensive upside, you might want to go with Sanderson in the top 10. And um, that's a concern to me, Dan.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking that a lot of people, based on Tom Fitzgerald's quotes about shoring up the defense with more size and strength, are leading people to believe that Sanderson would be the choice here over Drysdale, if available. And Drysdale's presence at seven depends a lot on what the teams in front of the Devils are looking for at the time. I think less so, you know, more so than the forwards that we have listed, because, there's a good chance that one or more of them are available at seven. Drysdale may not be there, and he's the only one no I don't think Sanderson would ever go before seven himself, so that's the worry that a lot of people have is that if Drysdale's off the board, will the devils you know what is will the devils go for size and essentially reach for Sanderson as the next best defensive prospect, or will they take the best available talent at that spot?
1: Exactly. And and I've said this many times in the past, whether it's on the site, whether it's in public, at the games, on Twitter, and even on this podcast, is that offensive talent is at a premium. And the cheapest way to get that talent is through the draft. Mm-hmm. And with the potential forwards available at seventh overall to reach for Sanderson is exactly that. I mean, let's take a step back here. You know, I, I don't like comparing prospects in, in this sense, Stan, but I'm gonna m- use this to make a point here is, is Adam Larson. Mm-hmm. When Adam Larson was was drafted, the Devils won that lottery, moved up four spots to draft Adam Larson. I was thrilled. Devil fans were thrilled. The draft party in a muggy June in Newark, New Jersey were loving it. But we can look back in history and say, yeah, Larson was worth Taylor Hall. But outside of that, he was the definition of he was a good defenseman, but – in retrospect, you wish the Devils did swing for somebody like Sean Couturier, mm-hmm. who was falling in that draft class, or reach a little bit for Mark Shifley, who turned out to be way better than anybody obviously anticipated. And that just goes back to the point of when you get that offensive talent, that's, that's, you know, that's going to make your reach for a need, so to speak, um, look that much worse. And on top of that, consider what the Devils have done over the last um, year or so with respect to prospects. They added Kevin Ball in the um, – in the Hall trade, they drafted last year Nikita Okutyuk, uh, Daniel Misul, Case McCarthy, Michael Vucic, Vuko Jevic. Je- Look, I'm not going to get all these names <laughs> right, but all these players have in common is that they're all big-body defensive-minded defensemen. I feel like Sanderson would be the safest defensive-minded defenseman to make it, and he might have an offensive upside. But after having five of these guys added to your system, why are you going to go out and add a sixth one? And wait for him to play a year in college or two before he comes to the NHL when you could go out and get a Rossi or a Raymond or a Holtz and get that offensive spark that you badly miss in the system and on the team right now.
0: I think if Drysdale is available, then that's a great choice at this slot. That's something that they should definitely heavily consider because the, the top end of their defensive prospect pool is essentially Ty Smith, Kevin Ball, and then else. There, there's not Riley, much Walsh, going on. Yeah. And Riley Walsh, depending on whether or not he even chooses to stay with the organization.
1: That's true. Yeah. He's, he's going back to his senior year because his junior year ended, like everybody else, early.
0: Right. So, so. The, you know, there's, there's not much of a sure thing defensively in the Devil's Prospect system. And I. I'm less worried about the offense specifically because a lot of the current devils forwards are on the younger side and they have um you know players like Nolan Foote in the pipeline, Yanni Kwakinen is still, you know, getting his feet wet in the NHL as well. So they they have some stuff to look forward to there, and then like I said, most of their offensive prospects are already in the NHL. So Yeah. They're no longer prospects, but they are it's not like they have to worry about them aging out of being, you know, young and useful.
1: Right. But, you know, again, it goes back to what I said earlier, is that getting young offensive talent is at a premium and at seven, you're going to have fantastic options. So to bypass those options for Sanderson would basically be saying, you know what, I'm not going to drive the Ferrari. I'm not going to drive the Lamborghini. But you know what? I want to drive a Ford and a Ford's not bad, but it's not going to win you any
0: races. Yeah, I think you know, people would have less issue with Sanderson as a player and more issue that he was taking seventh. Exactly. Now,
1: given how the picks may work out, if you really want the Devils to go out and get a big bodied physical, nasty man of a defenseman, you know, Gooley and Schneider are likely to be available in the middle of this draft. Mm-hmm. And if and even though he's not particularly physical, six foot, if you want to go for a big reach with upside. And yes, I have been li- listening to Will Scouch. So that's kind of where I'm pulling mm-hmm. this from. But if you want to reach for with the Vancouver pick to get William Wallander and hope his six foot four frame. Uh, gets grown into in Sweden by all means but do it with the later picks don't do it at seven
0: yeah totally fair and it it, who's to say that the defensive prospects are there but let's move to the forwards because it's more likely that they'll be here and we have a lot of options so let's start with tantalizing options exactly and kind of the devils we know and I only say that because they both play for the Ottawa 67s and as does half the devil's prospect pool, but Marco Rossi and Jack Quinn. So Rossi is a center. He's put up 120 points for the 67s last year. He's 5'9", 179 pounds. And Jack Quinn is a righty. He plays right wing. He plays also, like I said, for the 67s, and he had 52 goals and 37 assists for 89 points. I know Quinn's been rapidly rising up the board, but it feels like at seven, he may be a bit of a reach, but Rossi feels just right, although he may resemble an archetype of player that the Devils already have more than a few of.
1: Right. So I'm going to be straight up here with you, Dan. I love Rossi as a prospect. Mm -hmm. I did the profile for him way back in March, back when, you know, we were figuring out what to do on the site with no hockey and to which we are still figuring it out week by week. But more seriously though, this was a prospect I'm writing up and yes, you can, you have the knocks on him. He's not tall. He's only five nine, you know, Oh, he's one of the oldest players in the draft class. He was born on September 23rd, which is just, uh, you know, not even 10 days after the cutoff date. But you look at 120 points And you look at the fact that he outproduced everybody else in the draft class Mm -hmm. and he put up a remark, you know, and he wasn't just a scorer, Dan, like he played all situations for the 67s. He killed penalties. He won tough draws. He took on tough matchups. He was uh, your power play guy. He was your even strength guy. He was your we're up a goal. We need to defend the lead guy. He was your down a goal. We need a goal guy. He was everything for the 67s. And the 67s were one of the best teams in, in Canadian major junior hockey. So at that point, you just say, you know what? I don't care if he's small. I don't care if he's older than most of the other prospects in this draft class. The guy's got the goods. And, you know, we're Devils fans, Dan. We we, 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 we have a lot of love for Sergey Breland mm-hmm. and Brian Rafalski and Brian Gianta and, and, and even players like Zach Parise. Guys who were never known as big players mm-hmm. because they weren't. Physically big players. They were all five nine to five ten, and Gianto was barely five seven. Um, but more seriously, though, you know, those, if you've got the talent and you've got the heart and you've got the work ethic and you've got the tree trunks for the legs that uh, Marco Rossi has, you run to the podium and take Rossi. In my opinion, like, you know, you know, you take this dude's talent, and then when he proves you wrong and makes the New Jersey Devils in twenty twenty one, you're going to be super happy that you picked him. So I, I'm a huge fan of Rossi. Right, huge.
0: And it's a little bit different what you get from Jack Quinn because he profiles like way more of a scoring winger specifically. He's, he's someone who has 52 goals but only 32 assists, obviously taking assists from, um, you know, receiving passes from Rossi and the rest of the 67s who are a very potent team, as you said. But another big factor with these two guys specifically is that the Devils have been pretty much scouting them the entire time given the amount of 67s prospects that they have.
1: Right, but I want to correct you correct you there on Dan. The amazing thing about Quinn is that he wasn't playing with Rossi most of the time. Okay. He was he's on separate lines. Mm-hmm. And I think only on the power play they they saw each other a little bit. But the 67s being so talented and deep, they could afford to have a Jack Quinn and a Marco Rossi on separate lines, right. which tells you all about the 67s. But uh, no, Qu- Quinn is very impressive. I mean, you can't knock 52 goals in an OHL season, mm-hmm. much less a shortened OHL season. And uh, to do so on a team where he could have easily been completely ignored because of Rossi and because of other players on the 67s, um, he really did claw a name for himself. I'm always skeptical of player prospects like Quinn that just sort of rise up because he scored a ton of goals because sometimes, sometimes it's legit to say, oh man, we didn't pay attention, but now he's making us pay attention. And sometimes I wonder... Are you finding the next Sean Monahan? or are you finding the next Jonathan In, mm-hmm. You know, like a guy that just busts out with produces a ton of things and looks good in a lot of different ways. But it begs the question, how much of it is real and how much is it going to translate? And, you know, that's why, you know, if, if Quinn would be a fine pick for, if the Devils do get that Arizona pick. I, I could easily see a team taking him on the outside of the top ten. But if the choice is between Rossi and Quinn, I'm taking Rossi 10 times out of 10. And,
0: and and it's just about, you know, what they see in the organization positionally. They they if the argument is that Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes represent two smaller skilled centers, then a lot of people would question why Rossi. Well, it never hurts to have three very skilled centers. A lot of great teams yeah. of all time have had three centers and three lines that can run pretty much interchangeably because of those three centers.
1: Exactly. Just look at the Pittsburgh Penguins. You know, the, the same criticism came up when they selected Jordan Stahl. They said, you've got Crosby and you've got Malkin. What are you going to do? Play play three centers? And they did. Yeah. And it's the same thing how Pittsburgh is still a quality team that just barely missed out on the top four of this return-to-play format. Because with Crosby and Malkin, you can put them on separate lines, and if need be, you can put them on the same line. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing that you can get out of Rossi. You know, you know whether or not the argument's going to be, is it going to be Heischer, Hughes, Rossi, or... Rossi, Hughes, Heischer, or Heischer, Rossi, some combination thereof. But when push comes to shove, Dan, you'll find a spot for talent. And this guy's got the talent.
0: And he can be pushed to the wing. He's a center. He can play exactly. wing. He can, you know, learn to do that. Most centers can. And they even experimented with that several times last season. But yeah, I agree with you. I think. Talent-wise, there's a big gap between these two, and Quinn would be a reach at seven but more reasonable if the Devils have one of the later picks. So I want to take a quick break here before we address the last three prospects just to hear from our sponsors uh, for a second, and we'll be right back. Okay, we've returned, and we have one more OHL prospect to go through before we reach uh, the two Swedes that are on our list. And before that, we have Cole Perfetti, who is a lefties, 5'10", 185 pounds, plays for the Saginaw Spirit with 37 goals, 74 assists, and 111 points. He is someone who is very unlikely to still be available at seven, but there is an outside shot.
1: Yeah, like the the way this draft class kind of works as a whole is that you have Lafreniere is the number one guy, Byfield is likely to be number two. Tim Stootsley is like, likely to be number three, and then you can go in a lot of different directions uh, beyond that point. And the fact that Ottawa owns number three and number five in this draft means that Ottawa could just say YOLO and you know do whatever they want because they have picks nearly back to back. So there, there, excuse me, there may be a chance that Perfetti could fall to seven. He has been rising up in the eyes of the NHL scouts and in some scouting departments to say you know he's really like number four or number five as opposed to seven um i'm not super sure why though i mean his skating is kind of it's not the best you know there's some work that needs to be done with the efficiency but i will agree though that he's got one of the best shots in the draft i think alexander Holtz, one of the swedes that we're going to talk about in a little bit has a better shot but Perfetti's shot is excellent and you know he has most of the tools to be an electrifying left winger in the nhl and it just so happens the devils could use an electrifying left winger since they traded the one that they had last year Mm -hmm.
0: yeah kind of a big deal when they did that and again if he's there at seven he'd be great but i just don't think he's likely to be there like him specifically he lands in that four to six range more often than not exactly
1: and one of the bigger things we have to be a little aware of is when this draft class happens, because a lot of the junior and European leagues, they're planning to start up their next season as normal. So there's going to be a chance where some of these players are going to be playing at the time. And, you know, heaven forbid somebody get hurt or they get, um, you know, they, they hit a cold streak or hit a hot streak. And then all of a sudden, you know, that guy you think that was going to be available at seven suddenly becomes a 10th overall pick or becomes a third overall pick. Mm. Um, you know, there's a lot of variability, but Cole Perfetti definitely has the goods. Like his rookie season in the OHL had 37 goals this past season. He had 37 goals and 74 assists. Like the guy was just a production machine for Saginaw. So he's definitely be, he's definitely a viable pick for the devils if he's available. But I agree with you, Dan, I don't see him escaping Detroit, Ottawa and Anaheim. Mm-hmm. Um, All the way there. And if he does, I have to ask the question, why?
0: Right. So there's more questions to be answered by those teams. If he does slip through the Devils, of course, they would happily take him, I assume, at that point. But instead, let's move to the remaining two players on our list. They're both players from Sweden. And also, they could very much both or one of them definitely be available. I think one of them for sure will be available at seven. It's very likely that both would be, but we have Alexander Holtz and Lucas Raymond, and they're both righties. They're both wingers. Um, There's not much of a height difference between them. Raymond is a lot slimmer, and he played for Frolunda. He got four goals, six assists for 10 points, and Alexander Holtz played for Drew Gardens. He got nine goals, seven assists for 16 points, and again, you have to remember, these are teenagers playing in an adult league.
1: Yeah, they, they typically get, like, very limited ice time, very limited shifts. You know, it's very common to see a scoreline like Raymond's for his time in the SHL. So seeing Holtz get nine goals and 16 assists in SHL competition is actually really impressive considering that, again, we're talking about a 17-year-old or an 18-year-old, uh, you know, getting very limited ice time. So he, he, he's pressing – both of those guys press through to the next level. But they obviously need a little more time before they get bigger minutes in the SHL. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so I, I don't think either of them would be a bad pick either. I think they no. they represent a lot of—it's it, the same logic of the Devils will already have two young centers. Now they have to start building up their wings a little bit because right now their best wing prospect is Nolan Foote. And then beyond that, it's kind of old Saul Palmieri being the best wing on the team.
1: Right. I mean, you have hopes for Kwakinen, but again, after him, it's like you're basically having— you have long shots. You have long shots in the in the system. Um yeah, but Ray, Raymond is more of the playmaker as I understand it. Now, he has some excellent skills on the puck mm-hmm. and he's not a bad shooter per se, but his his bread and butter is pressing the puck forward, being creative with the puck looking for situations to get ahead of players using his speed. He's got a lot of very nice talents. However, I think between the size, between the fact he wasn't as productive as Holtz at the uh, Swedish um, Hockey League, it begs the question of maybe he should have played more games with the super elite elite under-20 team instead of the SHL for Furlunda, but that's a Furlunda problem, not a Raymond problem. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, um He has been, I guess, falling a little bit on some draft boards. For example, McKenzie's list at TSN, again, that's a good way to read the tea leaves what the NHLers are thinking. And Raymond was, you know, at one point he was considered to be maybe third or fourth overall, and now he's down in that 7-8-9 range, Uh, similar to where Holtz has been consistently at uh, throughout the whole season, because Holtz's whole game is shooting, shooting, shooting. Oh, he's a good shooter. He's not a bad passer. He can play defense. He skates very well. He, He could be a little faster. But this man shoots. If there's a criticism about the shot, Dan, it's where he shoots it from. Uh, to quote Will Scouch from his scouching video, he says he 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 ne- he just needs to be coached to take shots like ten feet closer than where he normally does. However, if an alien race invaded Earth and you needed one man, one prospect in this draft class to score goals outside of the <laughs> outside of the scoring chance area. Then that man I would pick to fight the aliens would be Alexander Holtz. <laughs> yeah. Which I guess tells you how good his shot is. It's it's easily the best wrist shot in the draft. And given that he is a right winger, he is 18, you know, you don't know what Paul Mary's long term future is going to be in New Jersey. I can easily see why some double fans are, you know, drooling over this man's shot. And I I, I wouldn't think it's a bad pick. I would prefer Rossi over the other guys that we've discussed, but if Holtz ends up being your pick because Rossi was already gone and Drysdale's already gone, you know, I think that would be a fine pick. I think it would be a good selection. It would be a justifiable selection, and I think you would agree.
0: Yeah, and shot volume and shot share have been problems for the Devils pretty much throughout the entire Heinz era. And if you have someone whose only job is to just throw things on net – He's gonna score sometimes and that's a good thing to have in terms of possession of the puck. It's a good thing to have in terms of, you know, a surprise factor. This guy is literally not afraid to shoot from anywhere on the on the rink. And I think that's something they've been lacking for a while too. They they've had players like Coleman who just their job is to just put things on net over and over and over and over again and you know, the the luck will change at some point. They can't keep shooting at these abysmal percentages. Um, And also a lot of what factors in here is something that the Devils are now going to have to decide probably before the draft because they're going to have to draft someone that fits whatever coach they bring in style. And I think that's the big, big component that's missing here so far. And even if Fitzgerald is the interim GM to make the pick, that's not the worst thing. But it is bad if there is no coach to give input on to what kind of system they want to play. in, if they want that kind of high volume, or if they prefer more of a build-up playmaking strategy, then you go for a Rossi. Or are they looking for passes from the back end? You look for Drysdale, for example.
1: Right. Well, I'm going to have to disagree a bit there, Dan, because, you know, by the time of these prospects establish themselves in the NHL, because, again, out of the entire draft class, Lafreniere and maybe Anton Lundell are like the most NHL ready prospects. And Lundell isn't supremely talented. He's he's pretty much the definition of high floor, not so high ceiling uh, among the draft class. That's why we didn't really touch on him so much. But um, by the time these guys are ready to break through to the NHL and by the time they have that first season under their belts and they're getting more acclimated to the NHL game, they may have one or two different coaches yeah, you know in fair. their ears already. I mean, coaches in the NHL go pretty fast. It's not super fast like say soccer, but you know, Hines was was the outlier, you know, he was the exception because he lasted for close to 5 seasons. Mm-hmm. Most NHL coaches do not last for 5 seasons. Um, you know, if the Devils were in a situation where You know, the coach, you know, if you were in a situation like, you know, the coach was going to be there for a very long time, I would say, sure, you would have to have the coach's input at the table. But I think for the draft, they need to figure out who their GM is Mm -hmm. because they're going to be driving policy. And just as importantly, they're going to be the ones deciding whether or not Paul Castron is still going to be at the head of the director of amateur scouting. They're going to make the decisions on who the scouts are, um, which new scouts they're going to hire when contracts end. And I'm sure a couple of scouts may may want to move on soon. Um, cause you know, that's the business. Um, so I think they, the, the devil's organization really needs to figure out their uh, management situation because when we hear reports that coaches are telling the interviewer, Hey, you need to figure out your GM first before you really hire right. me. You, you, you got things backwards and it, it, I don't like it, Dan. I just don't like it. Cause Harris and Blitzer have owned multiple sports teams. They, they, they know how this should go. Yeah.
0: yeah and it's taking, i mean at this point they know exactly where they're going to be drafting there's there's not much more they have to know before they make a decision on who is going to be taking over this team moving forward i, I really don't know what they could be waiting for at this point
1: unless exactly. it's such like, a
0: coach that's currently in play like we discussed um, a couple weeks ago
1: right maybe they're waiting for a certain manager to leave because they know their contract is going to end sooner they think someone's going to get fired after the qualifying round which is entirely possible mm-hmm. you know it happens um yeah, but I mean if the, if you end up picking Fitzgerald, you and I both know what our reactions are going to be, which is why didn't you just do this back in April? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like you could have done this 6 months ago. You could have done this after the trade deadline. You could have done it after you fired Shero. Yep. Um I don't know if it's a contractual thing, but you know, I feel like the fact that you were it's nearly July and Fitzgerald still has the interim tag on there. He was still the interim at the draft lottery on the Zoom call that was uh, aired for a good five minutes um, to see him looking at his phone because it was thrilling television. Um, you know, he's still the interim. <laughs> you know, like if you're still the interim now, what makes you think that you're going to be the in- – why you're going to be permanent?
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, and it's strange that it's taken this long to figure that out. We did hear about another potential coaching candidate, and it's another name that's been around the NHL to varying degrees of success, and that's Lindy Ruff. Um, He was the – apparently there was a mysterious candidate that no one knew about, although – I don't remember a mysterious candidate ever being reported besides the four names we talked about when we talked about the coaching search, but his name did come out as someone that was part of the interview process. But yeah, it it is a bad look when the candidates are telling you that you need to have a GM in place before you do anything else, and they still haven't figured out a solution to that problem. So we wait and see what happens there, and I I feel like I don't have to ask you who your preferred player would be at number seven. I assume it's Marco Rossi. (laughs)
1: Yes, it would mm-hmm. be. Yeah, Rossi's my my guy. I mean, do you take him I over Perfetti? With Will... Yes, okay. I would. In fact, I'll take it even a step further, Dan. I agree with Will Scouche that I think Rossi is the third best player in this draft class. I would take him ahead of Stutesley.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's. I mean. By the way, Stutesley's not falling to seven. Don't no, even. No, know. no, 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 no. There was a time where he happen. might have, and then he just jumped up the boards and pretty much became established as the number three. Almost all the way locked in. There are some who believe that he should pass Quentin Byfield for the number two yeah. spot, but I, I don't see that happening.
1: I don't see it, no. I don't. I don't see any either. And uh, L. A. If you're an L. A. fan, I'm sure you're miffed that you're not getting Lafreniere, but you're just going to have to dry your tears with knowing that your future center death is going to include Alex Turcotte, Gabe Velarde, and Quentin Byfield. Yeah, Quentin Byfield. I think you'll be okay, you guys. 18 years
0: <laughs> old, like six four, two thirty. Not too bad. He's
1: not even. He's not even 18 oh, yet. He turns, he, he's, he turns 18 in August. He's actually one of the youngest people in this draft class. It's why some people, a handful of people like Cam Robinson and mostly Cam Robinson of Dauber Prospects, tried to make a case for Byfield as number one mm-hmm. be, on the basis of Lafreniere is one of the oldest draft, draft picks, but Byfield is one of the youngest. And if he can figure out a couple mechanical things, he could be the very best. And I'm thinking to myself, if he's got mechanical issues, um, he's obviously not the best one in the draft class. Right. But I can understand the thinking that, you know, in five years, he could end up being the best guy, not no disrespect intended to Lafreniere. It's more of a case of, you know, the guy just blows up, you know, like I said, many times before he, when he's on, he resembles of Jenny Malkin. And if you have of Jenny Malkin, the next of Jenny Malkin available, you run to the podium and draft him. You don't, you don't have a discussion. You don't sit down and go, Hey scouts, what do you think? It's Quentin. We want Quentin. Yeah.
0: We want the guy from
1: Come on down. We'll we'll run. To, we'll race to the podium
0: together. <laughs> yeah, it'll be kind of like a – I don't know. It, it feels more smoke and mirrors, like just conversation for the sake of conversation, because I don't yeah. see how you pass that guy up at number two. I mean, it's tough to pass him up at one, and if Lafreniere wasn't in this draft class, he would have probably been the easy number one.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, there is no doubt about it. I mean, like I said at, at the beginning of the show, Lafreniere is one of the best – Best prospects to come out of major junior hockey In a very long time mm-hmm. And the only flaw that I've ever seen Of that player is He needs to he needs to turn down the He needs to improve the discipline mm-hmm. He can sometimes get too aggressive Which is usually very rare to read about a top-end prospect Which, are, which is, you know Oh, you need to not throw elbows at dude's heads I'm like, okay, yeah.
0: cool uh, Yeah, that would be good I mean, you don't want him to be the Ryan Leaf of the NHL
1: Well, you don't want him to be the Well, I'm not going to get into it But you're right you're absolutely right. You you want you don't want a uh, a guy that uh, just loses his mind sometimes. We want the guy who just kills you on the score sheet, and Lafreniere can kill you on the
0: score sheet. Mm-hmm. So as we await news of which team will be lucky enough to both participate in the return to play and get the chance to draft Alexis Lafreniere, uh, do we have any more Devils news to talk about this week?
1: We unfortunately do not have any Devils news to talk about this week. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, so there's a very good chance that next week's episode could be another coverage of an old game or something else entirely, but we will find out as it happens and we will learn together.
0: Yeah, and we'll also learn where the NHL plans to put its hub city since supposedly the announcement's been coming for over 2 weeks now and every day Bob McKenzie tweets out that it's coming today or tomorrow and it has not happened for a good series of consecutive todays or tomorrow. So, we'll see if the hub ends up being as rumored Vegas and Toronto. But other than that, yeah, we're just waiting on the Devils to make a few hires and after that, waiting to see where their other picks will land. So with that all being said, like we always say, we'll let you guys know when, um, you know, if it's looking like there's going to be little to no news on the Devils, we'll go back and dip into another old game. That Sunstrom one was really, really fun, and it, it'd be great to look back on some uh, past eras. maybe look at some comparables for possible players the Devils could draft. All right. That all being said, that brings us to the end of this episode of Garden State of Hockey. Thank you all for listening, except for you, fans of Mystery Team E. And we'll join you next week for another episode. But for now, let's go Devils.
1: Go Devils.